Welcome to the Sales Management Podcast, your source for actionable sales management strategies and tactics. I'm your host, Corey Bray from Coach CRM. No long intros, no long ads. Let's go. Today, we're talking about launching new products and what folks can do in sales management roles to really get that right. But to have some fun before I start preaching, which I don't think I'm going to do today, maybe a little bit. Before we start talking about what we could do or exploring some options, let's talk about the typical product launch launch cycle, something that I've seen over and over and again, and explore some reasons why this doesn't necessarily set teams up for success. Like always, if you sell a product, a service, software, hardware, whatever it is, use your imagination. Help this come to life for your organization. I'm going to use something as an example here that is relevant to most folks because you can't please everybody, especially when I'm just sitting here by myself. All right. So in this example, we're going to use a software company company that's launching a new feature. And since most products have some kind of analytics dashboard, let's say that that's the new feature and it's going to make this big leap forward in making the product stronger. Because obviously pre- previously there wasn't an analytics dashboard. There might've been one, but it wasn't that great. And lots of customers were frustrated that they couldn't see what they needed to see. They were anxious about what's actually going on inside of the business and couldn't get insight. Maybe they could still get to the data via API or through spreadsheet downloads or something like this. But by golly, somebody decided, let's go build a really strong analytics dashboard. So the first thing that happens is an all hands meeting is scheduled. Well, I guess the product's built first, but is that the right thing to do? We'll revisit that in a little bit. This is what usually happens. There's an all hands meeting. And then Jacob, the senior director of product management, let's count the syllables there. Senior director of product management. Okay. So anyone that's that's running a new feature launch meeting, their their title probably has at least 10 syllables in it. I counted 11, but I went to public high school in Texas. So is that right? I don't know. Let's call it 11. All right. Jacob scheduled an hour long meeting. And in this meeting, what are you going to see? Slides. Exactly. So there's going to be slides and a live demo. So the slides are going to show what was built. Then there's going to be live demo. And then, you know, obviously a couple of folks from the engineering team are brought in to explain how it works. Now, don't get me wrong. People should get credit for their work. That's not the point here. The point is that you've got a product manager and a couple engineers showing the sales team what they built. They should get credit for it. Is this the, this is usually how how most companies approach giving them credit for it? Is hey, we're going to launch, let you all launch it with sales, and then after they get done with their their piece, the head of product marketing or somebody like that comes over, and they talk about packaging and pricing and add-ons and upsells and cross-sells and things like that. And then let you know the exciting news. The exciting news is that it's available to demo next week and it can go live with customers by the end of the month. And in the meantime, they're going to circulate the deck that was used today. And there you go. So from there, you know, what what companies are usually doing, it'll it'll vary. And some of them will do some of the suggested tasks that we mentioned later on in the rest of the episode, or some will just send salespeople off to just see what happens. We're launched. We're introduced. The product meet. The product introduction meeting has been completed. Have you ever watched the TV show Silicon Valley? If you've never seen the TV show Silicon Valley, I rarely say TV shows are must watch. This show is incredible. It's actually the reason I moved to San Francisco 
and went all in on tech. So I quick, quick backstory. You can fast forward for a minute if you don't care. Backstory, I was head of sales at a channel partner organization in 2014, living in Houston, Texas. And we partnered with technology companies. And I said, gee whiz, I'm on the channel team, which is great. Love, love working in channel. Actually setting up a coach CRM if anybody's interested in, in what that looks like, shoot me a note. I was working there and I said, I want to work for a software company. And if I want to work for a software company, I'm going to move to San Francisco. So I sold all my stuff, took two bags, flew to my buddy Frank's wedding in Seattle or on an island outside of Seattle. Cause of course he made, had to make it real easy to get to. And then went down to San Francisco and one thing led to another. That's what I've been doing since is working in and around technology companies. Silicon Valley, uh, season one, I just realized, wow, this is this is great. I want to be a part of this. It's it's so ridiculous, so hilarious, and so true, which is what the best part. So let's let's talk about season three, episode one. Richard Hendricks is the CEO of Pied Piper. He gets demoted to chief technology officer and venture capitalist, his personality herself, Lori Breen. If you've seen the show, you know what that means. If you don't, then imagine the person with the least amount of personality in the world. So Lori brings in Action Jack Barker, a Silicon Valley veteran who is going to take the company away from Richard, the founder's business to consumer vision, and orient it more in a business to business model where they're selling their product directly to other businesses. And Jack tells Richard and the rest of the engineering team, he says, guys, this has to be easy to sell. We've got to make it easy to sell. Richard, very smart dude, he says, well, if the salespeople are so great, can't they just sell the product? And Jack, this is classic. Jack looks at Richard and says, no, the way to keep the best salespeople is to give them something easy to sell. Otherwise, they'll go somewhere else. Richard's mind is blown. Because the thing about Richard, he's, a, he's an engineer. He solves hard problems. He's very good at engineering. And so then Jack's sitting here saying that the best salespeople don't want to solve hard problems. The best engineers do want to solve hard problems. They, they solve hard problems, hard, interesting problems. That's where they flock to. And then Jack's sitting here saying that we need to make it easy to sell. And, and that's obvious because if it's easier to sell, they're going to make more money. And that's what's going to, on the whole, attract the best salespeople. Well, how do you make a product easy to sell? It's not build it and then introduce it in a company-wide meeting with a slide deck, a product team, and somebody from the engineering organization to show what they built. Instead, what we're looking at is a mini playbook. It doesn't have to be a big science project or something that takes months and months and months to build. But when rolling out a new product, there are a handful of things that I'd suggest looking at. Here's eight of them. I'm going to run through them real quick, and then we're going to go dig into each one of them one by one. Target market, personas, competition, discovery questions, resistance, customer stories, pricing and packaging, demo. You can do more. Might be able to get away with a little less, but that's generally what we're, we're looking at for a new product launch. And if the product is well understood, the market's well understood, the personas are well understood, all of this is well understood, it shouldn't be a huge lift to put this together. And if it is, my question then becomes, why do we build the product in the first place if we don't know all of these things? Ideally, all of this is defined well in advance of writing a line of code for the product. That way we know when this thing gets built, oh, here's the demand that the market's going to have, and we can, we can go out there and attack it. So from a target market perspective, what, what types of companies are we selling to? And when we, if, if we think about the sales playbooks episode that hasn't launched yet, it'll be out here in a little bit. If you want to check that out, hit subscribe on Apple or Spotify. 
target market, usually what I'll do, there's a list of a number of attributes. This could be company size, it could be geography, it could be incumbent solution, things like that. And then for each attribute, list the ideal values, the acceptable values, and the rejected values. So for, for geography, maybe ideal is United States, acceptable is other English speaking countries and rejected is companies or countries where English is not the prominent language because the product is only in English. Things like that company size, it could be ideal is I don't know, 100 to 1,000, good is 25 to 100 or 1,000 to 3,000, and rejected is over 3,000 or under 25. Those companies we just don't want to work with. So who are we targeting? I do this instead of what you can call it an ideal customer profile, you can call it target market, whatever you want. I like using a matrix because if you use a matrix, it's easier to combine different attributes. Sometimes companies will come in and they'll say, here's our ICP, ideal customer profile, and it's a sentence. And that's fine, but there's always things on the fringe that need to be explored. And then there's always that gradient that goes from ideal to acceptable to rejected. And if we understand all of that, that's then we're in really good shape. So what's the target market from the, the company perspective? Then the second piece is who are the personas that we're selling to? Who's signing the contract? Who's using it? Who's our champion? Who are the users? Who's the saboteur that's trying to keep us away? And what are these people's job titles? And then for each persona, what do they do? What's their, do we understand their role and, and, and how this fits into it? Because if, if what we are selling is only 1% of their role, then that tells us how much they're going to care. But if it's 50% of their role, oh, wow, maybe that's more interesting to them. What's their pain? So for this specific persona, what pain do they have that we can solve with this new product launch? And then specifically, how do we win? Well, yeah, duh, we win by solving their pain, but is there something else? Is there more context where we can win if the following happens? That's that's where we want to be with personas. For competition, this should absolutely be spelled out in advance of building the product. Who does it today? You can go full Porter's Five Forces. If you're not familiar with Porter's Five Forces, you should Google it. It's very good work by Michael Porter, I think back from the mid-90s. But for the for the generally speaking, for the competition, who are direct competitors who do similar things to us? Who are indirect competitors? that they don't do exactly what we do, but we're still going to compete for mindshare, for budget, for something like that. And then for each one of those objectively, how do we win? Where do we battle? Where do we lose? Traditional battle card, I'd, I'd put objectively on there in italics, because if you went and worked at that competitor tomorrow, would you still believe that? And if the answer is no, then it's not an objective way that you win. It might more likely be a battle. All right. So we've got target market personas and competition so far. Next is discovery questions. What are the pain-seeking discovery questions that we're going to ask in order to create some velocity through prospecting, through discovery, and on throughout the rest of the sales process? Do we have those dialed in? I've got a framework for making awesome discovery questions. It's called the pain finder. It's a process where you go from feature to benefit to asking what pain would the prospect have to have today to care about the benefit? And then you throw away the benefits column because nobody cares. People, people are going to make a decision to take a meeting or purchase from you based on pain much more often than they are from pleasure or reward. Might still happen, but you're not going to hit your number from that. So the, the process is, here's the feature of the new product. Here are the benefits. And then ask the question, what pain would someone have to have to care about that benefit and when we answer that, it's not cost or inefficiency. It's something that's a real hard-hitting pain that is going to compel someone to go to the CFO and say, I need $50,000 to buy from Corey because. Because why? Because that pain that we uncovered 
And if we know what those are, and we know that they're compelling enough to drive a deal forward and ultimately result in, in someone purchasing, purchasing from us, then we're in great shape. And we can elaborate on this more. We can say, okay, for each one of these pain points, what market segment does it apply to? Which personas does it apply to? What's the impact of, of solving this pain? I like to use scale zero to four. Zero is no impact, four is high impact. And then how well are we positioned to win if we can solve this pain? Same thing, scale zero to four. So then you go look for all the fours. So what's a, what's a pain point where there's a four under impact and a four under our ability to win? That's where the good stuff is. So what ends up happening is as a sales manager, you might go through this big exercise of what I just described, which is actually pretty hard. Shoot me a note, uh, free stuff at coachcrm.com, free stuff at coachcrm.com, and I'll flip over the template on how to put this together. But once you have it, you can equip your salespeople with just a handful of hard-hitting, pain-seeking discovery questions. Next big piece to figure out is resistance or objections. What are we going to hear from prospects? And then what are we going to do when we hear it? Having a plan. Next, we've got customer stories. Maybe you had a beta or a, or something like that where a handful of folks got their hands on the product or service before its general launch that we're doing here. Or not. If not, then at least telling a story around why you built it, what pain you observed with other customers or out in the market that led you to building this. Because if I'm sitting here with a Coach CRM shirt on telling you to buy Coach CRM, are you going to believe me? Maybe. But it's going to be more credible if you hear a story of how one of our customers had a person promoted from BDR to AE and hit 300% of his goal in December. That actually happened. Customer story is more credible as opposed to people walking around saying, we built this product and it's amazing because everyone's heard that story before. They've heard that same thing from every other company out there and from a self-interested salesperson who's on a 50-50 comp plan that has massive incentive to, to close deals. So leveraging these customer stories, even if they're only around the problems and the pain points that you've observed in the marketplace, that's key. Pricing and packaging, probably have this figured out. I think going to the sales team and saying, go, go figure it out, that's a that's a recipe for disaster, but that's I'm just putting that in the list is just be sure. And whatever it is, make sure it wasn't totally determined in a conference room and that there was some kind of market feedback to this because if it's, if it's completely out of whack, it's going to get rejected. And then finally, demo. This one's huge. And I think that people often underestimate it and it ties to a bunch of the other items in here. So demos, we've got to think about how are we demoing based on the persona? What pain we've uncovered previously with discovery questions, because you don't want to demo until you've actually uncovered some type of pain. What, what resistance do we anticipate in the demo? What customer stories are we going to tell throughout the demo? See how all the things I'm talking about tie together here? And then what's that demo flow look like? What's the one minute, five minute, 15 minute, 60 minute demo? Don't need to master all of those. Maybe maybe the goal is, hey, get, let's get the team equipped on doing a five minute demo of this new product. If it's an analytics product, that's pretty straightforward. And just being really clear on what good looks like. But I think from a sales management standpoint, one of the superpowers you can unlock is also showing what bad looks like and why. People are really good at learning if they can see the good and the bad next to each other, draw that comparison. It's it's game changing. Whereas if all you do is show good, then their mind starts to drift to figure out, well, where's the line between good and bad? And if you've done this before, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, the one, one thing to explore is, well, make a list of things that you do want them to do on the demo and things that you don't want them to do. And then as you're coaching and we're identifying how to make these demos better, the, the ground rules are already in place. The minute you start coaching somebody on something that they don't perceive as fair, 
that they perceive as was made up after the fact, that's where friction starts to arise in a, in a coaching relationship. And that's, that's not good. So those are the items that we've got for the, the new product launch, target market, personas, competition, discovery questions, resistance, customer stories, pricing and packaging, and demo. And I'll tell you, Jack Barker from Pied Piper, Richard's, Richard Hendricks' new boss, he's right about one thing. If something's hard to sell, the salespeople, they're going to ignore it. They're going to focus energy elsewhere. They're going to sit there and say, well, why would I spend all my time trying to sell this new thing that I don't understand? that I'm not enabled to sell, that I'm not equipped with wh- whatever we just talked about in order. They're, they're not going to do it. They're going to go back to whatever has worked for them up to this point. Even if you put some kind of spiff on it and say, oh, well, you make double commission for the next 60 days. If something closes, they might look at it and say, there's no way something's going to close in the next 60 days. And there's, there's absolutely no one who's going to come out of a one-hour lecture from product management that's going to be equipped to go sell with any consistency. Yeah, maybe someone will buy, but my brother caught a catfish on a bass lure the other day and I wouldn't suggest fishing for catfish with bass lures. The craziest things happen, but to prevent crazy things from having to happen, equipping your team with a very clear product launch playbook and tactics to sell the product successfully, that's where we're going to win with new product launches. Well, that's all I have for today. Corey Bray from Coach CRM with the Sales Management Podcast. We'll see you next time.